Welcome to episode number 90 of the Inspirational Athletes Podcast here on the Always Lancaster Podcast Network. I'm your host, John Walk, sports reporter for LNP Newspaper and LancasterOnline.com, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. On this week's show is guest J.C. Morgan, who some folks might recognize that name as the new Millersville University head football coach, and it's timely with this episode coming out as they uh, recently started practice for the upcoming 2018 football season. And Coach Morgan um, kind of shares his journey from his playing days growing up in Delaware to uh, being a fullback at Bucknell University, how he got his coaching start. Um, he spent the last 13 seasons at Shippensburg University, the last three as the offensive coordinator, um, and obviously put together uh, quite a handful of numbers there just as far as the run and pass game is concerned. We'll chat about all that and um, his plans at Millersville, how he envisions building the program moving forward, and also in the short term what he expects of the upcoming season. Really a delightful conversation. He had a smile on his face this entire time, uh, outgoing personality. I'm looking forward to what he's going to be able to do with the Marauders um, in the coming season and seasons ahead. Head. One last programming note before we move forward. If you guys like what you hear, feel free to subscribe by going on Google Play or iTunes, searching Always Lancaster Inspirational Athletes. Hit the subscribe button. All right, with all that out of the way, on to our conversation with new Millersville University head football coach JC Morgan. Enjoy. Yeah, so I kind of like, I've been doing this new thing where like I, I try to start with kind of icebreakers just to kind of get the guest comfortable. Okay. Um, and, and with football stuff, I wanted to ask you just as far as growing up, maybe what was your favorite athlete or coach growing up? Anybody who played for the Eagles. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I'm a Philadelphia All right. Were you at the parade? I did not make it to the parade. All right. Um, I, I, funny enough, the uh, head coach at the time at Chip, uh, he gave the whole team the day off. But I just had to get some work that we were in the heart of recruiting and stuff. So. All right. Well, it might be another 30-odd years before that happens again. Nah, it's so. going to happen next year. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, right. I wasn't worried because I just figured I would go this year. <laughs> what was when you were, a, when you were a kid or adolescent, what was the first jersey that you owned? Randall Cunningham. All right. Still have it? No. All right. <laughs> it was – you know, and I, I know Randall Cunningham was probably the first one I – you know, had that I wore and stuff, but probably even go back a little bit further to Walter Payton. Wow. Back with the Hutch equipment, <laughs> with right. the plastic helmet, with yeah. the real big face mask. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, um, that one, that was the one that I remember proudly wearing in the backyard. When but you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I thought I would be a basketball player. <laughs> then I thought I would be a sports broadcaster. Yeah, I, I used to do play-by-plays of baseball games, and I would turn the sound off. But <laughs> from that, I would – Watching you know, the Phillies you know, games? Watching the Phillies games, and I would ha- I would do my own box score on, like, one of those composite books. <laughs> and I would keep score and do the play-by-play. Wow. And the color commentary at yeah, the same time. Yeah, it seems like you're a genuinely easygoing talker or smooth talker a little bit, like communicate- communication-wise. So that's probably where you get that from. Yeah, when I, when I was little, little – When I was little, my, my – uh, family would say you talk too much <laughs> so because of that they said you should get into broadcasting or you should do something like that but I had a lot of fun doing play-by-play a lot of times with baseball in the summertime because you had a lot of time to do that but I would also do it for basketball games and football games but in the summertime when you're in the house at night and you don't have to go to school or do homework it right. just seemed natural to fill the time um what was the jersey number in high school or college and is there any significance to it I wore 34 in high school and that was because I always had a reference. I was always referenced to Charles Barkley. 
Um, yeah, I, I was I was a little short kid with a uh, oversized head, <laughs> and they, right. they, they said you have a Charles Barkley head. So people called me Little Barkley or Baby Barkley. And so when I started in high school, uh, 34 was my number all four years all right. for football and basketball. And it's funny you said uh, you're a talker too, because now he he's known for uh, spouting off his mind and that. So maybe you guys fit the mold there. Yes, and he was a sixer too. So we would go to the games, and, and because they would say. You know, I resembled Charles Barkley. I would go, and I would say, "Hey, Charles Barkley's my dad." Did you <laughs> yeah. play like him then? I know, yeah, I, I, right. I didn't shoot very well. I did a lot of fouling, <laughs> and you know, use my shoulders more than I use my All hands. Right. Um, and growing up in Middletown, Delaware, um, at least that's where you're from. The obviously football side. You mentioned basketball. What other sports outside of football were there that you tried coming up through high school? Uh, I played football. I played basketball and baseball and ran track. Wow, so you're busy. Yes. All right, love sports. Yes, I'm a, I'm a sports junkie. This is, yeah. this is what I do. So to be able to coach for a living and people say, what's your job? And I say, I don't work. This is not work to me. <laughs> um, so between that and, you know, trying to stay active, you know, out and about and being outside in the summertime, I was always trying something to do. And if I wasn't doing that, I was playing video games. All right. What was your first job? My ever? first job. You well, know, I, I, when I was probably in third or fourth grade, I would uh, sweep hair at the local barber shop. <laughs> yeah, just make a couple of dollars here and there just to hang out. But the first real job I had, I was working in a video store. Oh, uh, nice. Back when they used to have right. VHS cassettes and things like that. Hey, I'm like old that. enough to have gone to Blockbuster Video and all that stuff, too. So yes. are you a movie buff then? Um, it was, it was, the one neat thing was I was able to watch movies and get paid for it because they would have you take movies home and mm. you know kind of evaluate and be able to tell customers what the movies were about so <laughs> that was the nice part plus i would get discount on video games so that was a way to <laughs> do you know back then sega genesis was out there yeah, that was my 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 game so console. do you have opinions then as far as like uh movies go as far as like oh jaws is better than jurassic park or star wars is i don't know <laughs> yeah not uh, you know not really okay but I just I do like movies every once in a while there were some movies back when I was you know in my high school years that it was great to watch at the time I think the biggest movie that came out at the time was the Titanic and oh, I wow. remember All we right. did like this big deal where you could pre-order the Titanic you get some special poster and some special <laughs> edition you know box or something that went with it but the Titanic was the big thing when I right. was working working there Wow, that's awesome. Um, yeah, and kind of giving people an idea of, of kind of before we get to the football stuff and your playing days and whatnot, I wanted to, to, to first off chat with you about the upbringing. Um, growing up in Middletown, Delaware, I came across a note that, that you were raised by a single mother. Um, I don't know how many siblings you have. I was just kind of curious if you can kind of paint a picture of like what, it, what was it like growing up in a single parent household? It was my mother, my sister, and I. My sister was nine years younger than, than me. And crazy enough, we were very close, with the age, even with the age difference, and we're very close today. I mean, my, my little sister's my best friend. <laughs> we, we talk pretty much, even to this day, three or four times a week. Now, this, this time of year has been a little busy, so I have not been able to talk to her as much, mm -hmm. but, but she's doing well um, with her life, and, and you know, we are, we are very good friends. But it, it was great. Uh, my mother was tremendous and the one thing we we were didn't have the highest of incomes uh, we didn't um you know we weren't living with the joneses so to speak but i wouldn't have never known that you know she always made sure that i had 
you know, good, you know, I always had good clothes, always had a, I had a car, I had my own um, phone line. So, you know, it wasn't like I felt like I was missing out on things. So she did a tremendous job. She, she worked hard. She attended, my mother attended all of my sporting events. She was the, the biggest fan. And uh, if she gets up to a few games, which I'm sure she will, she's only about an hour and a half away, you will hear her. You, know, you will hear me a lot, but you will hear her. She's louder than I am. And, have you uh, had to have a talk with her about that at all? I, no, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't mess with her with that. She, uh, I'm her baby, so she's she's not going right. to tell. She's not going to let anybody tell her <laughs> how yeah. to cheer on her baby. So that's fine. But I have very strong support for my family, and you know, I did grow up in a single parent home with my mother. But the one thing I can say is I had a lot of strong male figures in my life. Mm. Yeah, my mother had me when she was 20. My grandmother's very young. Um, you know, she was a young grandmother, so my uncles and my aunts were like my brothers and sisters. So I have an uncle that's six years older than me. So we're like brothers. And my aunts, you know, married, um, married guys who were strong influences in my life. And they're my, they're my biggest fan support even to this day. Did you, uh, with your sister being nine years younger than I imagine as you're kind of coming up through high school and even college, like you're essentially a role model to her. Were you aware of that at that time? And were you trying to kind of like set the example for her at all? Yes, I mean, uh, I think because of where I grew up, football was a real big deal in Middletown, Delaware. It still is a big deal. And I think the football players in that area were looked up to and were kind of role models in itself. So I think she looked up to me in that regards because everybody knew who I was as a football player. And you know, I think as football players coming up, we knew the responsibilities that we had with the younger kids. So I think that kind of transitioned well with how I, uh, you know, I had a relationship with my sister. And uh, yeah, I just kind of, as far as getting to, uh, you know, going through high school, how, when does Bucknell come into play for you, just as far as the recruiting side of things? Near the end of my senior season, uh, Dave Kotowski, who uh, was the defensive coordinator at Bucknell, uh, coincidentally, he's now the defensive coordinator at Mercyhurst, which mm -hmm. you know we will see week 11. But uh, he, he started the recruiting process for me with Bucknell. And it was really love at first sight, <laughs> you know, when, with the recruiting visit and, you know, just from that, my interaction with the coaching staff there. You know, they did not have to work too hard to recruit me. I think the school sold itself, but uh, I did establish great relationships with the coaches throughout the process. And uh, mostly a fullback, but you were kind of like a skill position fullback in a sense, right? <laughs> Always, you know, always said that I was a tailback in a fullback's body because I wanted to carry the ball and catch the ball out of the backfield. Um, I did block, but you know, my my eyes would light up when they called my number to get the ball. Probably some comparisons to Jerome Bettis, then, in a sense. Yes, I, w I used to say that I wasn't fast, just a little quick, and I know Jerome <laughs> said that a lot. <laughs> and right. that was that was a day where the big running back was in. You know, now right. the, the running backs now are 180, 200 pounds. Even at right. the pro level, they're not extremely big. But back then, T.J. Duckett and Jamal mm -hmm. Anderson, those guys, mm -hmm. they were 230, 240-pound-plus backs. Mm -hmm. There, Jerome Bettis being another one. So to be a bigger running back was 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 the thing. Mm -hmm. At Bucknell, we had a tailback who was probably like 180, 185. And it was like, he's little. He's tiny. And that at the time, that's you looked at those guys like that. But now that's kind of more of the norm. And I think that was around the same time Brian Westbrook was coming into his own as a player with the Eagles, and you know really yeah. you know, made that popular. We know you now, uh, at least running the offense, predicated on the run. Um, is that from your days of being a fullback? Is that kind of where you developed that love for the run game? You know, I, I think 
my offensive philosophy is kind of stemmed from the coaches that I've coached with and coached for. Mm. When I first arrived in, and started coaching in college football, I was coaching at Moravian, and we were very pro-style offense, and you know we would run the ball 40, 45 times a game. We had a horse at tailback, and we would just give him the ball a lot. You know, going from Moravian to Shippensburg, you, I started running the wing tee with Rocky Reese, and that was a run-first offense, and everything was off of the run. When Rocky retired, that's when you know Shippensburg started transitioning to the spread, mm. and that was when Mike Yurcich, who's now an offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State, but Mike Yurcich came from Edinburgh, and he brought the spread offense to Shippensburg, and that was my introduction to to the spread. But off of that, when 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 Mike left to go to Oklahoma State, uh, we brought in. Joe Davis, who's currently the offense coordinator at Albany. Okay. But Joe had a spread principles, but really had a run element to it as well. And I like that, especially with the quarterback run game. That's something that I really like to do or, you know, like to look into if we have the personnel for that. You mentioned it a bit earlier. Sorry, I'm going back and forth sure. here. I just kind of want to give people an idea of where that love for coaching or where the start of coaching came into play for you. Senior year at Bucknell. You ended up not playing because you were injured? What was the injury? Correct. It, it was a hamstring injury that was a back injury, just a nagging injury. It wasn't one of those career-ending, oh, I can't walk type of deals, but just was, you know, constantly dealing with it. And it was a coaching change at the time, you know, and it just – at I was in spring ball or going getting ready for spring ball, and I just didn't feel like going through the, through the torture anymore because mm. it was just painful to even run. So I actually started volunteering at the local high school for the spring just to help out. And it actually, by the, I think going into the summer, there, there was an opening for a paid position. In at just, Lewisburg. At Lewisburg High yeah. School, yes. So at that time, I, I started, I said, you know what, I'm a coach. And maybe, you know, depending on how things work, I, you know, I do have a, you know, I can come back for my fifth year type of deal you know, use a missed term exception, you know, with the Patriot League and thought maybe I'll just come back for my, my, my fifth year if I'm healthy. But when I started coaching, I just fell in love with coaching and just made sense to graduate and pursue that as a profession. You also were like an assistant basketball coach at Winter? Yes. Too? So were you trying to figure out, okay, I want to coach, but like which sport or? No, I coach football because that's what I love to do. I coach basketball because they were paying me a few thousand dollars. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> uh, it was like a couple thousand to, in, when you're in college. That that was golden. I, I really liked the kids there, That's the student athletes. Mm -hmm. It really grew close to them and their family. So this was just a way of me being involved with, with coaching and, you know, it was something to do. And I was on, I had a couple classes to finish out my undergrad, so it just made a lot of sense to pass the time with coaching. Basketball. And then I guess the following year is when you started at Moravian? Yes. Was that have been like a graduate assistant position? It was kind of an intern position. I was an intern with the athletic department, but I was also working with the admissions department. Mm. So I would spend most of my time with football – and recruiting for the athletics department. And I think my official title was minority recruiting intern. So I was in charge of all the minority recruitment wow. for the whole athletic department. But then I would also work with the admissions department and they had me target specific areas. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a year at Moravian essentially, and then the next 13 are all at Shippensburg. Yes. And the reason I bring that up, like, it's interesting, like in the coaching profession, oftentimes you're probably signing up for, okay, I'm going to be here for a couple of years. I might be here for five years. And sometimes, you know, head coaches, at, at least at the bigger levels, obviously, the, the jobs aren't always secure. So it's maybe a profession where you kind of, 
accept the possibility of moving around every X amount of years. Um, and, and you've been at one place for a long time and I'm kind of, I don't know, maybe that's, that's not rare. I think it's rare in a sense. It's um, so I'm just kind of curious of, of why Shippensburg for 13 years and, and being there for so long. And I think it's kind of unheard of. It, it is rare in the fact that when you go out in, in recruiting or you go out to conventions or you're around a lot of coaches and when they find out that you're at a place for a long time, they're impressed. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't happen a lot. And you know, I think that was a credit just to Shippensburg. It was a great place mm -hmm. and they, they did, I always felt like they treated me very well and I always felt like I was a part of a university family, which was very mm -hmm. important to me. I did not want to be at Shippensburg for long at first because I, I was actually, I really loved life in the Lehigh Valley where Moravian's located. It was in Allentown. I loved the town. I was young. I was single and just having mm -hmm. a great time. Well, when I moved to Shippensburg, Shippensburg is not Allentown. <laughs> so, you know, when I first get there, I see horse and buggies <laughs> and it's a small town. I said, well, man, I, I'm not going to be here long. I'm going to put a couple years in. I think at the time, Rocky Reese said, hey, you know, you should put two or three years in and then you should move on and progress. But the one thing at Shippensburg, they kept giving me responsibilities. They kept putting me in positions to grow and putting me in positions to further my career. So I always looked at you know, everything that they gave me as a promotion. And it was an opportunity to grow and develop. And you know, Rocky did that as a head coach by giving me more football responsibilities. But then also just at the administrative level with the university, you know, they always had me do things and be out in front of alumni and, and to right. go to certain events. And they really allowed me to develop my public voice. And as long as I was progressing, I did not need to look elsewhere. I felt like I was getting good training at Shippensburg. And then, you know, as Rocky retired, Mac um, takes over as head coach. You know, mm. he, you know, I was able to take over a recruiting role. And then also just, again, be able to advance as a coordinator and those type of deals that would make me marketable, you know, should I get the opportunity to, opportunity to move on. And and to take that next leap as a head coach, I can imagine this probably wasn't your first rodeo as far as uh, looking for that next head coaching job. When did you start getting an idea of, okay, I think I'm ready to take over a program? Funny enough, when Rocky retired, there were, Shippensburg was a popular job. Mm -hmm. I spoke with the administration and they said, hey, you know what? You should look at applying. Well, we had a couple internal candidates, Mac being one, and, and he ended up getting the job. But I really looked at it as, hey, this is an opportunity just to have some fun with this and, you know, start thinking in those terms of running my own program. I was very, you know, still very young at the time and I did not have a ton of experience, but I really started to think in that mindset. And when I went through that interview process, I tell you, it lit a fire under me. And I had so much fun that day being able to articulate a plan on how I would run a program, how I would deal with fundraising, alumni relations, managing coaches. And I, in my mind, I knew I wasn't ready, but I really enjoyed the opportunity to think in those terms. And in fact, when, when the university president, you know, talks to you and says, hey, you did a great job through the process and now we know who you are. And I think that just gave me more and more confidence. And so moving forward, when when I started to strengthen my resume, I said, you know, this is something I really want to do. And this job, I always had my eye on this university. It was something about the Lancaster area. It was something about right. this place uh, that I really, it really um, had my attention. So I interviewed in 2013 uh, wow. for this position 
and you know I did not get it. I'm sure part of that was well I wasn't a coordinator yet, and I think you know universities wanted to see me in a leadership role. But when the opportunity presented itself five years later, you know, after some prayer and thought, I said, you know, I still like this opportunity. I'm still going to go after it. Yeah, and I'll get to the Millersville side here in a second, but I kind of want to give people an idea that if they're not familiar, um, Coach Morgan helped the Shippensburg offense. uh, Offensive coordinator last three seasons, correct? Yes. Um, Yeah, and, and last year, last season anyway, 2017 campaign, uh, let's see. Morgan's unit averaged over 400 yards of offense and at least 31 points per game in each of his three seasons engineering the offense. Excuse me. Um, his rushing attack never ranked lower than third in the PSAC. With Morgan calling plays in 2017, his offense averaged 35.7 points and 452 yards per game, while ranking third in the PSAC in rushing offense and fifth in passing. Unit scored uh, 40 or more points in five games. And uh, let's see, what other numbers do I have here? Turned the ball over just 13 times in 13 games. And by the way, the year before that, in 2016, his offense was the only Division II unit to lose just one fumble all season. Um, so, yeah, predicated on the run. For those who are unfamiliar and may not have seen Shippensburg football the last few seasons, how would you kind of describe your offense in terms of what formation and, and what you guys did well? You know, I would like to think that we had the ability to run and throw the ball very well. And I think sometimes the, the numbers can – you can kind of maneuver the numbers around to tell your own story. But the thing that I, I like the most is I felt like we would have the ability to throw the ball and run the ball and kind of take what the defense would give us. Mm. So there would be some games where we would go against a run – a strong run defense and we say, okay, you know, they, we, we can have some success throwing the ball. So there were games where we had to throw for three or 400 yards to move the ball down the field and win the game. And the next week, we might have to run the ball for 250 or 300 yards and mm-hmm. to win the game. So whatever it takes to win, I, I think offenses work best when they have a system that allows you the ability to do both. Has it been challenging in, in recent years to recruit players to, to fit that system in a sense that in the last five to ten years, at least, football on the offensive side anyway has gone the way of everybody's doing spread stuff now. It's not three yards in a cloud of dust, wing T stuff. I'm kind of curious, has, has it been challenging to find those types of football players to fit that run game or no? You know, I, I always believe that as a coach and as a college program, you want to get the best players you can get, and you should have a system that's flexible enough to fit their strengths and weaknesses. So I, I'm, I don't believe, especially at this level, that you can be a type of coach, okay, we only look for this person or this type of player because this type of person or player fits our scheme. You really say, hey, let's find the best players we can get and let's find us, you know, let's find it within our system to work around those players to put them into positions to emphasize their strengths. So now that you've been in this position, gosh, two months now, roughly, um, give or take uh, a, a couple weeks there, uh, I'm kind of curious as far as, like, what the – responsibilities have been it seems like a press release has come out every week as far as hey that you're adding this coach that here is coach there as far as filling out the coaching staff I imagine you've been meeting with players and alumni and can you kind of give me a picture of as far as what the last two months have entailed for you as soon as the press conference was over I spent a good two weeks meeting with the players just to be able to introduce myself to them, uh, discuss their academics. That was the real, that was the focus of the meeting was to make sure we were online academically, but just to give them a chance to get to know me and me to get to know them. And that was important to them, which made it very important to me. While that was going on, I was assembling a staff. The good thing for me, knowing this opportunity was coming, 
I always felt it was important, and I think it still is, to have a Rolodex of coaches that you would like to get to know when an opportunity presents itself. So I was able to quickly get some some coaches on campus and you know, at least from the you know, from the full time coaches be able to fill those positions as quick as I possibly could and then, you know, round out the rest of the staff, you know, as those guys got in place. And and I'm very I'm very uh, excited about the coaches that are coming on board here. Uh, we have a couple more announcements to make, um, which hopefully that will be, uh, we'll be able to do that. But the, the pieces are in place and very excited uh, for what we're going to do. Yeah, because that's essentially like the first recruiting game for you before you can get to the uh, the class of players. you got to recruit your coaches here. What's the, the sales pitch in a sense? Uh, obviously, they know you. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't be here. But I'm kind of curious, how do you sell Millersville to them? Well, Millersville sells itself. And I think the area sells itself. It's a, it's a nice college town where you can be in the college town, but you go 10 minutes away and you can be in a <laughs> vibrant area with the shopping and the restaurants and yeah. the, the lifestyle. You know, you can go 10 minutes another direction and you can be in hunting, you can fish, you, know, you have that rural feel. So you have the ability to attract a lot of coaches and a lot of different type of coaches. I, I think you want that kind of versatility within your staff, you know, coaches that can experience different lifestyles and relate to a lot of different players collectively as a staff. And this area kind of gives you the ability to bring a lot of different types of coaches in because there's so much to sell. Mm-hmm. To me, that was the easy part. I think the, the, the I don't want to say the challenge, but the thing that, the thing I had to emphasize throughout the process with coaches is just selling them my vision and letting them know how they would fit into the vision and how we will proceed going forward. We talked about the offense a little bit earlier. What should we expect from the defense now that you pretty much have that side of the ball as far as staff, now that you have that in place? What's kind of the plans there? Yeah, I, I, I think Matt Suchak being at the defensive coordinator position was big. I think the players really felt uh, had a great feeling about him. And that was a, another benefit of being able to meet with the players. I was able to pick their brains and, and their thoughts on you know the program and things in general. But the guys on that side of the ball really felt comfortable with Matt. And it's a lot of experience there. So it made a lot of sense to stay with Matt. And I, w- I had a chance to meet with him and quote unquote interview him. Mm-hmm. And I really like his scheme and being coaching against it. I, I, There's a lot of things that he did that I really liked. So. You know, I'm going to provide some guidance to it and, you know, give my support when needed. <laughs> but I really I really enjoy um, and appreciate the fact that Matt decided to stay around. And that's going to help you tremendously on that side of the ball because here you don't have spring practice with your crap of players as with you as head coach. So at least on the defensive side, they're going to be familiar with things. But with that being said, you know, camp's going to start here August 5th. Um, I'm kind of curious of, of how you kind of go about – Installing a system with these players and also getting ready for that first week opponent uh, when the season starts. Well, the one thing football is football. There, you know, scheme wise, there are some similarities. You know, I think the main thing for us is just how we're going to operate, making sure the players understand the verbiage, and as coaches, just making sure we're teaching them the right way to do things. Mm. It, you know, we try not to make it too complicated but also have it to be sophisticated where we keep defenses off balance. But, you know, we're mindful of the fact that we're going to have, you know, a set amount of practices to get ready for week one, which is pace. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're going to keep that in mind as we're installing. 
And as far as the short term, I'll get to the long term goals and how you're going to build the program. But I'm kind of curious for the 2018 campaign. Um, how have you kind of go about figuring out, OK, this player does this? Like, have you been able to go back and watch tape from the last couple seasons of the players that you have coming back in 2018 and, and how those pieces fit? Yes. The last few weeks, especially, I've been able to dive into the football side of it a little more. But really just trusting the coaches. I, the one thing I told the coaching staff as where they come in is I need to put them in position for them to do their job mm. and really trusting them to look at the film and be my eyes and, and ears at mm -hmm. times. But the last couple of weeks, I've been able to really dive into the football side of it. And I think another thing, you know, me being in the conference for the last 13 years, I'm very familiar with a lot of these players, whether it's through recruiting or through the opposing view, right. you know, being an opponent uh, of theirs. I've been, you know, having the ability to watch the film through scouting and playing against uh, this you're program. You're going to know what defenses you're going up against. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I get a handle on the personnel as well. And that was a big part right. of it. For me, I thought me taking this job would be a little more seamless than maybe others just because of the fact that, hmm. you know, I do have – I've had my eyes on these guys for various reasons over the last few years. So I know what – you know, certain quarterbacks can do. I know what certain running backs can do. Ty Tyrone Gibson is somebody that I recruited when he was at Bishop McDevitt. Wow. All right. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. That's a guy, you know, he's a running back there that I know I watched him play like six or seven times throughout his, you know, <laughs> his, his high school career. So I can look at those guys and say, okay, I know what they can do. Mm -hmm. um, Tommy Holloway played at St. George's in, in Delaware, which is right near my hometown of Middletown, Delaware. So being able to see these guys and be familiar with them from the outside now that I'm on the inside you know I had some knowledge coming in right um I'm kind of curious as far as like your demeanor on the field what should we expect I mean you seem like a happy good lucky guy maybe you can become serious when when time's needed but then again like maybe you kind of have to adapt your coaching style to what fits a player because some players respond differently to, to different things and I'm just kind of curious if you can kind of give us a description of, of what we should expect on that side you're going to see a little bit of everything <laughs> you're going to see a guy that's jumping up and down and <laughs> you know you're you're going to worry about if I'm going to pull a bust a calf muscle or a hamstring or something. Uh, you're going to see somebody who's going to be analytical and, you know, will be thinking through situations. You know, I, I think I'm going to bring whatever the situation needs. And that's the thing. Because I'm in a position where I can oversee and I'm not going to be, you know, the primary play caller on you know both sides of the ball or even with special teams that I can analyze and kind of fill in as needed. But I, I think the one thing as a position coach, I was – a ball of energy you know jump around you probably would see me I'll be the guy that the referees would say get him off the field <laughs> just because <laughs> I'd be so excited and so passionate and and fired up as a play caller you have to be in tune and, and be into the game a little bit more so I was always you know the next step ahead but also finding moments to really fire the guys up you know especially in between series on the sideline, that's your chance to rally the troops and, and get them together and give them the fire and brimstone right. type of speech. So you're going to see a little bit of everything there. Uh, the, the one thing, the biggest and the best piece of advice that I've received so far is to be myself hmm. and not try to be somebody else. And I think I always try to see things two, three steps ahead anyway, so I'm always going to do that. But if, you know, if I'm hype, 
you know, you're going to see a, a coach on the sideline getting hype. <laughs> yeah. If I'm upset, you're probably so going to see that. you're not just stone-faced no matter what's going on. You enjoy what's going on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, you know, you talk about players needing to play the game with passion and emotion and energy. I think as coaches, we have to set the example. Mm. And, and that's the one thing I laid out to our staff is, you know, you don't need to be somebody that you're not, but, you know, you have to be fired up about this. And players have to look at you and sense that, mm -hmm. you know, he loves what he's doing. It, there's a passion in that, that coach just loves being here and he loves coaching. He loves coaching me as a young man. So that's the things that we want to see. So I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I told the players I'm probably a little more honest with them than I should be, but, mm. you know, they're going to know what they – with me, they're gonna. What they see is what they get. With you in the coming seasons, I imagine there's probably a list of of different keys that are philosophies that you have for this program, kind of moving forward. I'm kind of curious as far as these next few years of how you're going to kind of go about meeting. Like, do you have certain goals that you're trying to lay out, or maybe just certain philosophies or certain types of players that you're trying to recruit to to fit? You know what you're trying to build here. I think the main thing is. I'm not sure if I really look at it and say, here's the type of players I want to get to fit here as much as I look at, here's the type of young men that I want here. So it's really, from a recruiting standpoint, going out and establishing relationships that we can analyze and evaluate them as young men and what they're going to bring to the table once they get to a place like Millersville. Mm -hmm. I think that's very important. You know, everybody, can, anybody can look on huddle you know, and on recruiting film and say, okay, this guy can play or that guy can play. You have millions of people on websites ranking players from one to 20, who, you know, here's who I think are the top players in the mid-state or every, anything like that. And that's all well and good. But when it comes to putting together a football team and a football family, you have to analyze the young men for who they are off the field. And that's a big part of it. So, yes, you know, we're going to look to identify a great athlete. But most important, we're going to look to identify great young men. And we'll, from there, we can coach them up and get them to where we want to be. That's awesome. Um, I'm kind of curious, too, and I know Ethan asked on his podcast just as far as your significance in being the first African-American head football coach at Millersville and what that means to you. It means a lot. And, you know, I'm, I'm well aware of – the way things go in college, in the college coaching profession, it's, you know, I know there's progress that, you know, is made at times, but I, I do feel like we have a long way to go for, you know, equity when it comes to opportunities. And, you know, I, I have a, you know, a few buddies who are young African-American men who are getting head coaching opportunities for the first time. And the thing that we talk about is making sure we do this the right way. Obviously, we want to win because that's how we keep our jobs and that's how the measure of success is going to be defined. But above all, we want to do things the right way. We want to run a first-class organization. We want to make sure we're sound in everything that we do on and off the field. The wins and losses will take care of themselves. But if we do things the right way, it's going to open the door you know, down the road for guys who look like me. And, and I, so I take that responsibility very serious and and I'm honored to to be in this role and you know, I think really by how myself and others like me do our jobs moving forward can determine how many further opportunities happen in the future um last couple of questions for you here I, I've had several football coaches on here and over time some of the topics a, a, a recurring topic that comes up is kind of just as far as football being a game that's under attack I know 
you know, we need to be aware of concussions. We're teaching the right things just as far as proper tackling and whatnot. But I'm, you know, I'm of the mindset that, you know, it also teaches you a lot of things that makes you a better person. There's been things I've been through in my personal life that, uh, you know, kind of now that I'm older and have perspective of like, yeah, I learned that from when I played football of handling this now. And I'm kind of curious, you know, you're a motor of men. Um, and I was wondering if you can kind of share your thoughts on what football as a game, as a team aspect, what it can kind of teach people and make them better. I, I, this probably is a 30-minute podcast. <laughs> if we go in that direction, I could probably extend this to an hour and 30 minutes. It's. I can first and foremost say that if it was not for the game of football, I would not be able to do what I'm doing today, obviously. But to be able to travel around the country, to meet a lot of different people, to to get a good education and to help young men achieve a first-class education in their lives – I think football has afforded me those things. And I know the game's under attack. I, I know it's, well, you should play this sport or you know, play that sport. Let's find a way to eliminate the sport. You know, I think families are going to do what they think is best for their their, their young men. And I, I get that. But I when if anybody asks me, I can just tell them what football has done for me and what it can do for other young guys. Because you do learn a lot of things that you cannot learn in a classroom you know and that to to me that's the biggest thing you learn teamwork you learn accountability you learn how to depend on somebody i mean this is the one sport where your success is dependent on the guy next to you and the guy behind you and the guy in front of you mm -hmm. one person you know cannot do it all by himself and so you learn those things you don't i don't know if you learn them in in certain in different environments. And now that doesn't minimize what education, what a quality education can give, but football is one heck of a supplement <laughs> to that education. It's a big part of the education process. Absolutely. And last thing I didn't bring up, um, for those who aren't familiar, uh, Coach is also a, a married father um, to a five-year-old daughter. Yes. Um, so what's, uh, I don't know, now that she's becoming five, she's probably becoming a little bit more active. Is she uh, involved in any sports yet? Uh, she likes soccer, and we've we've had her in soccer leagues or the the kinder shots or right. kinder care. Or what's it? You're going to be busy yeah, during yeah. the fall. Soccer Are shots. you going to be yes. able to like help out coaching in the spring and summer? I don't want I don't I don't want to coach her. Or okay. I, I just want to be a dad. I do enough coaching. I just yeah. want to be dad. But uh, she's she's a ball of energy. She loves to swim. And she's starting to swim without any assistance now. She doesn't have mm. a floaty on or anything like that. Uh, so she's gotten lessons and she's taken that. And I mean, her, my wife and her are at the pool every day. And I think they really enjoy that along with the soccer shots league that they do. And then also uh, we do have, we're expecting another uh, oh, child uh, at the beginning of next year. So. Right. Um, that would be something that keeps us busy during Christmas and New Year's time. Yeah, well, it's kind of good timing for you. <laughs> yes. um, last part for you is kind of where I like to ask guests if there's any kind of, um, I don't know, either life advice or philosophies that you can kind of impart us with that might make people better or something that they can apply in their, can apply in their own lives to kind of make them a better person or anything like that. I know you're a coach, so you probably have 8 million things, but maybe you I, can pick one out. I could say a bunch of things. <laughs> one that comes to mind, I always try to keep things in perspective. And the one thing that I always tell myself is, you know, 90% of the world does not care about your problems and the other 10% are glad you have them. <laughs> so the world is bigger than 
you know, there's a lot of the world that's bigger than what we see on a day to day basis. And I, I think that's something that I say to our young men, whether what happens on a football field or what happens in your classroom, there's always something bigger than you. There's always somebody who has it worse than you. And you're not as always as good or bad as you think you are. Yeah. <laughs> so just those type of things I, I try to impart on them on a daily basis, amongst other things. But, you know, having a perspective, you know, keeping that perspective is something that we try to teach our young men. Awesome. Well, hey, if you guys listen, enjoyed listening to today's podcast, you'll probably enjoy listening to the previous 89 episodes. So feel free to go back and listen to those in the archives. Last week, we switched things up a bit in the podcast by giving a platform to a local nonprofit group. It's helping others through physical activity with the fine folks from Vision Corps that stopped by to chat about how they help those who are visually impaired. Next week, we're going to be chatting with Penn Minor alum Cassie Klein. She continues to excel in, in field hockey as she enters her senior season this fall at Penn State. With that being said, I'm always looking for just suggestions for any future guests on this show. So if you're listening to this and think, hey, I knew this person, they'd be great. Throw me an email, jwalk at lnpnews.com or contact me on the Twitter at jwalklnp. Coach, how can uh, folks find more information about uh, Millersville football? Oh, just uh, Millersville Athletics website is great. Um, we're on Twitter, Ville Football or Ville FB. Uh, that's our handle on Twitter. Uh, Coach, at Coach JC Morgan is, the, is my Twitter handle, but just uh, – yeah, Ethan Halsey, our SID, does a great job of selling the story, not only about Millersville football, but Millersville athletics in general. Uh, and yeah, definitely follow us for all information. And definitely, if you uh, have a Saturday to spare, come out and, and support our <laughs> program because we're, we're going to try to do some great things and, and get the Ville back on track. This uh, episode is probably going to come out around August 7th, which is the first week of practice for you. I think August 5th is the first day, right? Um, I imagine you probably already have that day planned out. What's what's on the docket for that August 5th? Day? Well, I have the whole season planned out, <laughs> every day for the whole season planned out right now. But August 5th, we're going to get them in. They have to do some administrative paperwork. They have to go through the NCAA um, clearances and okay. make sure everything's good with sports medicine. And then in the evening, we're just going to take some time and get to know each other. Mm. They're going to get to know me and what's expected of them. But then we're going to spend some time as coaches and players just getting to know each other. And especially, you know, there's a lot of newness going on right now. So just uh, the time to you know, fellowship with one another before we get after it. Awesome. Well, hey, before we wrap up here, I just want to give a shout out to my colleagues, Tyler Huber and Irene Snyder. They are the engineers slash producers of this podcast. Thanks to another colleague, Claudia Espenshade. She gets this thing online. So thanks to them. Thanks to you guys for listening. And coach, thanks for uh, sharing your story and best of luck this upcoming season. man. Thank you. Ville Pride.